0: Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. So we're on a three-year journey through the Bible. Uh, The Bible is a pretty big book, uh, and even uh, when we say three years, we can't possibly study all of the bible in three years uh, we can survey it we can kind of go through and and hopefully we are are doing that and picking up the storyline and and hopefully uh, we're reading it all but to but to study and to go in any kind of depth that isn't really possible but hopefully we, as we pick up on the highlights and make our way through uh god will use his word to uh, do his work uh, in in our in our lives. Sometimes, uh, when you're in the Old Testament, which we are in these days, we're in the the book of Numbers. So we're talking about the uh, wilderness experience of Israel, the wilderness journeys. Uh, and sometimes it can get what we call uh, what we call dry, um, because sometimes we find it hard to understand how exactly how it all relates to us. Um, But I want you to encourage encourage you to just keep reminding yourselves that these things are are relevant and they're part of Scripture. And as we come into the New Testament, you know, we've been talking a lot lately, the last several several weeks, about uh, the tabernacle and the priesthood and the the priests and the Levites and, and stuff. And when we make our way through, when we come to the New Testament, those things are all there. You, when you read through the Gospels, uh, we'll, be, we'll be starting the New Testament next winter on Sunday mornings. Uh, and you, you know, we're, we're going to be just blown away by the number of interactions that Jesus has with uh, uh, priests and Levites and and he, and how they uh, not only are there the interactions but he makes it into their story it makes uh, they make it into his stories and so on and the temple is there not not the tabernacle but that but was in the wilderness but the temple you understand that was built was built on the model of the tabernacle and so all of those things are there when you come to the new testament in fact i i, I wanted to just take you to luke uh chapter 1 just for a really quick uh, little touchdown this morning and and um and uh read a few verses there. So this is uh, New Testament gospel according to Luke uh, that begins uh, in chapter 1 and in verse 5 we get introduced to this man named Zechariah. Now, uh, Zechariah is a fairly common biblical name, but this Zechariah had a very famous son. Now, um, this account here precedes the account of the birth of Jesus. Jesus' uh, mother was Mary, and who was, uh, hu- whose husband was Joseph. But there was somebody significant that preceded uh, that birth announcement. That was the birth of John the Baptist. Zechariah is John the Baptist's dad. And um, uh, Elizabeth is his mom. It says, In the days of the king of Judea, there was a priest named uh, Zechariah of the division of Abijah, And he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So he is a direct descendant. Both of them are direct descendants of Aaron. And Zechariah was a priest. And it says in verse 8, Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So the only reason I show you that this morning is just so that you can Appreciate the fact that when, as, when and as we come into the New Testament, all of these uh, groups of people that we're learning about and the system of worship around the, the tabernacle or the temple, if you will, is all there. And so it's all part of the context. And as Curtis said earlier, we discovered that the, the Bible is a whole bunch of stories that make up one story, and that's the story of Jesus so um, the Old Testament is important in its own right. I hope that as we've been going through, that you've been blessed and challenged spiritually over the last several months by the content of these scriptures. <coughs> Excuse me, but uh, but it's also vitally important to helping us to understand the uh, and appreciate the New Testament. So, question I've asked you several times: Can we understand the New Testament without understanding the Old Testament? Do you remember the answer to that? I'll tell you again. The answer is yes, but not very well. Can you remember that? It is possible to understand the New Testament without understanding the Old Testament, but not well. So, what we're talking about is important for two reasons. One is the Word of God, and it speaks to us, and and, uh, and it uh, challenges us and blesses us uh, in and of itself, um, because we believe that the Bible is all God's inspired word, right? Right? We say that, right? And it's all profitable. Paul says in in Timi- First Timothy, it's all profitable, or is that Second Timothy, three? Maybe Second Timothy, yeah, it's Second Timothy three. This is all profitable. It's all beneficial to us. But the Old Testament is also important, giving us the foundation for understanding the New Testament uh, material as well. So, um, let's see. Uh, Don, can you bring up that uh, that there slide of the wilderness camp? So we're in the uh, we're in the wilderness. Anybody here in the wilderness today? Um, this is uh, obviously just an, an artist's um, uh, concept of, of what it possibly might have looked like, but it's a, uh, quite a, I think a significant degree of, uh, of uh, authenticity there to that. Uh, you notice the pillar of cloud and the, uh, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night uh, in numbers, it, we, we, un- we come to understand that really it was it was one, it was one cloud, pillar of cloud, that glowed at night. And, uh, and it was the presence, uh, uh, God manifesting his presence or displaying his presence to the people. And so while they were in the wilderness, that cloud uh, that in the daylight appeared like a column of cloud and at night like a, a column or pillar of, of fire or light, kind of something, something like that, never left them. The first time it appeared, do you remember the first time it appeared? When they were coming out of Egypt, the very day that they left Egypt, that cloud appeared, and it never left the whole entire time uh, they were in the wilderness for forty years day and night, every day, every night for 40 years. They knew God was with them. He, he, he revealed his presence to them. And uh, in Numbers chapter 1, we learn about the census. God got Moses to count the people and organize them according to family groups. And you had the 12 tribes and, 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 and so on. And um, also in Chapter 2, we get the sense when, the, when he organizes them there into uh, formation that it has a military camp type of uh, sense to it. And, uh, and so they camped in formation or lived in formation when they, were, when they were stopped. And when they moved, they moved in formation. And that formation was all uh, specified by God through Moses and uh, they were directed that way, and it was all part of God's commands to them. And then it says in, uh, in uh, the book of uh, Numbers that um, um, when the clouds stayed, they stayed. When the cloud moved, they moved. And we know that they moved during that 40 years. We know they moved more than 40 times. Um, they were organized by tribes, and the tribe of Levi was special, uh, specially called to uh, serve the tabernacle and the worship of the nation, and all of the other tribes were, were camped outside, and the Levites were camped on the inside, and uh, Moses and Aaron were both of the tribe of Levi, so the priesthood was the Priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, the priesthood of Aaron, out of the tribe of Levi, and it says in chapter um, four that there were eight thousand five hundred and eighty Levites, and it says there that each one had his own task. That's very organized, and uh, part of that, uh, the task that they had. Was the, the, in, in, the, in the tabernacle, you remember that the, the center of the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant, and in the Ark of the Covenant was the commands of the Lord and the instructions that God had given Moses on Mount Sinai. And they were responsible for that. The tribe of Levi was responsible not not just for the worship of the tabernacle, but also they were responsible for all the commandments of God. And, and it says in uh, uh, Leviticus ten eleven that they were responsible to teach the people the word of God. And one of the reasons that that is so significant is that that carries right through to the New Testament. When you read in the New Testament and you read about the scribes and the teachers of the law, that was predominantly the role of the Levites. Um, And all of that becomes very significant. For example, I mentioned the whole, you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told. And you have the priest and the Levite go by on the other side. So as you, we, when we get to the New Testament, if you've been with us all the way through here, you're going to read the New Testament different than you've read it in the past. Lights will come on that didn't come on before. You will have understanding, you will have a, a more of a depth of understanding as to some of the implications for some of those details. And, uh, and that's uh, a, very, uh, a very good thing. Um, Chapters 5 and 6 uh, include some instructions about clean and unclean. This is numbers, 5 and 6, clean and unclean. Uh, the test for adultery is in there. And then the vows of the Nazarite. That will become significant when we get to the book of Judges and we read about one of the, the, the characters in the book of Judges. Which one would that be? Samson. Everybody knows Samson, right? Well, Samson was a Nazarite. And what that means is is described for us in uh, Numbers chapter 6. <coughs> Excuse me, Numbers chapter 7 and 8, <clears throat> over offerings from the people for the dedication of the tabernacle and the consecration of the Levites. Uh, Numbers chapter 9 is the celebration of the feast of the Passover. Remember, they've been in the wilderness now for a year, and so now it's Passover time. Remember, when they come out of Egypt, God told them, when you, when you, uh, you know, I'm taking you out, and in the years ahead... Uh, and, and, and when you come into the land that I'm going to give you, you have to celebrate this Passover. And he told them all in detail as how they were to do that. And, of course, it's all an amazing word picture of the Lamb who would die for the sins of the world, that we can have our sins atoned for, sins covered over by the, by the blood of the Lamb. And uh, uh, an Old Testament picture of Jesus. So they commemorate the pa- Feast of Passover. This will be the first time. That they would have celebrated the Feast of Passover um, since they came out of Egypt. That's in chapter 9. And then uh, it says in chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, and we'll put these on the screen there. It says, in the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony. And the people of Israel set out by stages. um, From the wilderness of Sinai. And the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Paran. And so they set off. And uh, it must have been quite a sight. To see millions of people. Moving through the wilderness. Men. Women. Children. Donkeys. Sheep. Cattle. Carts. Tents. Supplies. Soldiers. All in in, in the very center. uh, The tabernacle. It must have, been, must have been quite a sight to be seen. Was it a sight to be seen? Yes, it was, because people are watching, and we're going to be seeing that as we go on. Uh, what follows is a pattern that we have seen where they experience hardship or testing, and then immediately they start to do what? Pardon? Complain. That's the pattern, right? And Curtis mentioned this. The pattern is... People experience hardship or testing, and then they complain. And then the next thing that happens is Moses cries out to God. And that often would include Moses complaining about the people. Everybody has something to complain about, which is kind of nice because who wants to complain all by themselves? <laughs> um, then God does two things, typically. The pattern would be that God would do two things. Number one, he would give them, uh, provide for them. In, uh, in chapter uh, 11, it's quail for meat for them to eat, and then he would judge them. And in chapter 11, 11 that was a plague. That's the pattern that we see. And also tucked into chapter 11, there's this uh, Moses uh, complaint. When Moses complains to God about the people, uh, God also there instructs him to take 70 elders from the people. And he says, to choose 70 elders and I will put my spirit on them and they will help you. Uh, I bring it up because uh, I did I did mention it back when we were looking at uh, uh, Exodus chapter 18. But uh, I bring it up this morning because that that number, 70 elders... Um, when you get to the New Testament and, uh, and all, all the disciples are being drugged before the, the council, that's this council. They, the Jews called it the Sanhedrin. And it was made up of 70 of uh, uh, the elders of, uh, of Israel. Uh, and this was the formation and the foundation of that ruling council. So it was their kind of their their governing council. So once again, these things uh, become more and more significant as time goes on here. But um, let me see. Um, Numbers 12 records the time that Aaron and Miriam challenged Moses' leadership. Uh, You remember that Moses and Aaron and Miriam were brothers and sisters. And uh in uh, numbers chapter uh, twelve, um, they uh, Aaron and Miriam challenged Moses' leadership, and that does not go well. You can read it, you probably have already, but it uh, it didn't go well at all. Then in numbers thirteen and fourteen, we have what? pardon yes that's where we talked about last week the spies 12 spies are sent to spy out Canaan and they come back and they give the report and the people uh, start um, yeah we don't need to go through that whole thing again but basically it wasn't good was it and that uh, we talked about last week I I, I did want to to mention though last week I brought up the you know we went to the book of Hebrews and, and where it's we're the writer of Hebrews picks up on this account uh, that from uh, Numbers 13 and 14 and the people's rebellion against God's promise that they were to go in and take the land and that he would give them the land. Um, and, and the writer of Hebrews says there in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19, they were unable to enter because of unbelief. They were unable to enter because of unbelief. See, faith is always the issue that we come back to. Are we going to trust God or not? God says to us, are you going to trust me or not? I'm calling you to trust me. I'm making a promise. I'm saying to you, and to the Israelites, he said, you know, I will give you the land. They will not be able to stand before you. Your enemies will not be able to stand before you. You just need to take it. And the people, rather than trusting God, they chose to uh, rebel against his promise. And as a result, they never got to go in. That whole entire generation uh, died in the wilderness. And it was their children that ended up going in. We're going to be there when we get to the book of Joshua in a few weeks' time. Um, but that idea of entering his rest, the book of Hebrews, the letter of, um, of Hebrews talks about that they failed to enter his rest. And then, but then it says there, there remains a rest for the people of God. And I don't want to take you, try to take you through all that again this morning. Only to mention that that um, um, uh, the uh, there is some, I don't want to call it confusion, What do I want to call it. There is some uh, uh, variance of opinions as to what, you know, what that all means in terms of entering enter his rest and, and the promised land and what the promised land represents. The older, a lot of the older uh, theologians considered Canaan to be a picture of heaven. The promised land represented heaven and uh, that the wilderness represents life here on earth and if you didn't, they didn't get to go into the promised land. And so for us, what that means is that we live in the wilderness here. And if we don't put our faith in, in Christ and in his promises, then we won't get to go to heaven. Um, there's problems with that interpretation. You, you recognize that in a lot of the old hymns. A lot of the old hymns have that imagery. You know, they talk about Canaan land as, as heaven and, and uh, you know, uh, from Mount uh, Piscas lofty height, I view my home and take my flight in a sweet hour of prayer. A lot of those old hymns use that that same Im- imagery, and the Promised Land represents heaven. The problem the problem is that you come to the Book of Hebrews that uh, doesn't seem to mesh up very well with this idea that that there remains therefore a, a rest for the people of God, but they never entered in because of unbelief. And and, he, and the writer of Hebrews says, "Don't let your hearts be hardened like it was in the day." You know, you need to, you need to enter in. You need to enter in, and. uh um i, I think I, I i bring it back to that bring us back to that this morning because i just wanted to kind of make the point that i think i think what we um what we have here is uh, uh well if you go to uh, as we come up through and go to uh, david king king david king of israel uh god made a covenant or re re uh confirmed the covenant with him and in the, the that material uh 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, there's a real big emphasis on rest. Uh, it talks there where God promises David he would give him rest and uh, rest from his, uh, from his enemies. And it's par- part of the, what we call the Davidic covenant is this idea of, of entering into rest. And um, I think, I think uh, you'll remember these words. Uh, Come to me, all you who are lab- labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Who said that? Pardon? I know, you don't like to answer those questions that are so obvious, right? I, I, I know. Yeah, Jesus said that, that. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. <laughs> Jesus also said this. He said, Truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but is passed from death to life. And I think that I think that the resolution of this uh confusion or misunderstanding or, or question about what does what does the promised land what does Canaan represent in the life of a Christian and what is uh the book of Hebrews author talking about when he talks about us entering into into rest. Um I think I think it works like like this. If I could offer you my my thoughts on it, I think it's uh, um, uh, eternal life uh, comes uh, through a relation, personal re- our personal relationship with with Christ, and we don't have to wait for heaven for that. That's something that we're called into now. And and uh, and Jesus said, if you you know if you accept me, you have passed, you have passed from death to life. He said, the thief comes to to kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. That's the rest. The, 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 The rest is the abundant life we have in Christ. Now, obviously, when we get to heaven, that's going to be manifested in a perfect kind of way. But meanwhile, right here and now, that's what we're called to press into, right? So we're called to press into that kind of rest or that kind of peace or that kind of quality of life and relationship where, where, where uh, we are bringing ourselves under the authority of God and God is blessing us with what he calls life. Not just surviving, but, but really living, living an abundant type of life, a life of faith. So I would say to you that whenever we choose to live by faith in Christ, we are entering in. We're entering into that rest. We're entering into that, um, that, uh, that peace and that joy and that sense of well-being, that quality of life that that will be fully consummated when we uh, when we uh, get to heaven. Does that make sense to you? All right, um, And the confidence that Hebrews talks about is the confidence that our sins are forgiven. it all it's all based on that. You can't have any of that stuff. Without the assurance that your sins have been forgiven, in that sense, it's the same. It's the same message as the message of the tabernacle, right? To have your sins atoned for, to have your sins forgiven, to have your guilt washed away. He's saying about that this morning, about that how that blood of Jesus uh, atones for and washes away our sins, and in having that that confidence. Um, that's where it, 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 it's all it's all built on that. It's all based on that. So 40 years in the wilderness um, is, what we're, is what we're at here because as we talked last week, they didn't enter in. Where's the goodness of God in that? Where's the goodness of God in, in that? The people didn't get to go in and so they had to live their, their whole lives in the wilderness. Um, I remind you that God's Presence stayed with them every day. That pillar of cloud was there every day, by fire, pillar fire by night every day. I'll remind you that they, they ate manna from God every day for 40 years. And you might not like the thought of eating the same thing for 40 years, but I tell you, if you, if the alternative is to go hungry, then you might feel different about it. Right, and, 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 and I'll remind you as well that it says, it says in Scripture that their sandals never even wore out. Forty years of marching around that rocky, arid wilderness and even their sandals didn't wear out. So even though they didn't enter into that, that fullness and that, that relationship with, with God, walking in victory that God wanted them to, doesn't mean that God deserted them. He was there with them, and he saw them through to the very end. That's important to acknowledge as well. And he met their needs. And being in the wilderness would have been hard, but but it was not without God's care. I think that's important. All right. Uh Numbers 16 and 17 give us the account of the rebellion of Korah and the budding of Aaron's rod. Korah was the grandson of Kohath. Koath was the father of the Kohathites. If you remember when God divided up the tribe of Levi, he had Aaron and the priests at uh, at the head, and then he had the three family groups from Levi, the Marites, the uh, Gershonites and the Kohathites. And the Kohathites were the group of Levites that were responsible for the furnishings of the tabernacle. So they were the closest to the priests. Now maybe there, there, there was obviously jealousy. If you've read this, there was obviously a lot of jealousy. But, um, <laughs> different things can cause jealousy the Gershonites and the Merarites they were given carts that they could load all of the stuff on the carts and haul all the stuff they had all the, they to take care of all the curtains and all the framing and everything and and, and all the you know the, the the all of the structural elements of the tabernacle uh, the Kohathites weren't allowed they weren't given any carts they weren't even allowed to use carts they had to hand palm the whole thing and that might have caused some jealousy. I don't, I don't know. But, but, uh, but for one reason or another, if you look at uh, Numbers chapter uh, 16, verse 3, the last part of that verse there says, you've gone too far. This is called, uh, Korah. You've gone too far, uh, talking to Moses and Aaron, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above this, the assembly of the Lord? Sounds pretty righteous. You know, like, who Moses, who do you think you are? Who who, who died and made you king? What about us? I, you know, all, all God's people are holy. I weren't really caring about all God's people, I don't think. I think they were just upset because they were, like, feeling like they were one rung down from the top. I don't know, but it was something like that, right? And uh, uh, well, that didn't end well either. That's the passage where it says the ground opened up and swallowed them all whole. Tents, carts, stuff, families, everything, gone. And then you have the story of the budding of Aaron's rod. And we call it the budding of Aaron's rod, which is interesting because Aaron's rod didn't just bud. So God commanded the 12 tribes, uh, leaders, 12 tribes, all take a, a, a cut of rod and... and uh, which is basically a branch of a tree, and stick it and put them all in the in the tabernacle in before the Ark of the Covenant and leave them there overnight. <laughs> and if you've read it, what they all come next day and they all come up and they go in and they bring all the rods out, and they're all there just like they were when they put them there, except for Aaron's. And it says that Aaron's rod budded, but it didn't just say it budded, it said it budded and it blossomed, and there were actually ripe almonds on his rod. And uh, I learned something else this week I never knew. The word Hebrew word for rod is the same word as the word for tribe. Well, that was interesting. I never knew that before. You probably did, but I never, I never did. And uh, uh, but that was interesting. So that was done to establish again and again and again that God says Aaron is is uh, you know the, the lineage of the priesthood. And you might be like thinking like chorus like well hold on a minute you know that that's that's not not fair where's the equality in that and i think there is a lesson there for us because i think that we in in our day we equate equality with sameness and god doesn't do that Um, you don't have to have everybody having the same role to have equality because the Bible does teach that we are all equal in God's sight. We're all equal. There's nobody that he loves any more than he loves somebody else. We need to be reminded of that too, don't we? Because sometimes when we're relishing in the, in the blessing of God and the love of God and we're, saying, and we're singing these songs, Oh God, th-, you know, thank you for your love, thank you for your love. you know, It's true and it's good and it's wonderful and we need to do it. But we, at the same time we need to remind ourselves that God loves other people that way too. They might not know it, and they may not respond to it. But God loves people; He loves all the people, and that's uh, that's important uh, as well. All right. What time is it? Five to twelve. Okay, we're we're at we're to the text now that we're going to be looking at today. <laughs> but we're but we're not going to take too long because it's straightforward. It's pretty straightforward. We have two passages that we're going to. Uh, to look at and then we'll be done Numbers chapter 20 verse 1 says the people of Israel, the whole congregation came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month and the people stayed in Kadesh and Miriam died there and was buried there. Significance of that, main significance of that is that now we're seeing the generation pass. Okay? Um Verse 2 and following, says, Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we have perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt and bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. This is, you know, like deja vu. Right, here we go again. This is the pattern. And then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Moses took the staff from before the Lord as uh, he commanded him. So again, this is the this is the pattern, right? But this time there is a difference. It sounds a lot like in the book of Exodus when they were at at uh, Horeb, and God called Moses to strike the rock, and the water came out of the rock, right? but the the difference here the, starts when when God asked Moses, to speak to the rock. Did you notice that that's what he told him there? He didn't tell him to strike the rock this time. He told him to speak to the rock, and the rock would um, produce water. Now, um, it says in verse 10 uh, through 13 that Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you from out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron. Because you do not believe in me. To uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly. Into the land that I have given them. Verse 13 says. These are the waters of Meribah. Where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord. And through them. He showed himself holy. So. So. It's just kind of stated, because you do not believe in me to uphold me um, as holy in the eyes of the people, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I've given them. So here's Moses. You've been traveling with him all this time. I mean, go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush when God, you know, calls him, you know, and sends him to Egypt to, to deliver the people, you know. Um... That's almost, by 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 this time uh, that's, you know, going on, the book of Numbers covers a period of, of 40 years, right? Um, and God says, you're not going in. You're not going in, Moses. And people have speculated as to what was so serious about this. There are some people have suggested that, that, uh, in striking the rock, Mo, uh, and not just once but twice, that he broke the typology of the Bible, because we all know that the Bible says that Jesus died once for our sins. He, he wasn't struck twice; he was only struck once. And Moses already had struck the rock at Horeb, and so that that, that Moses was breaking the typology here. Uh, and that may be true, but most wouldn't have understood it that way, I'm sure. Um, but but what does the text actually say? Um, that uh, that God, it says that God basically just disobeyed, or Mo- Moses, sorry, just disobeyed God. He didn't do what God told him to do. And disobedience in this context was an act of, uh, not, not just an act of defiance, but an act of unbelief. That's what the text says. It says, because you did not believe in me. And so again, we're going back to the issue of faith here. Um, but, but, but I think it's insightful to look at what Moses actually said when he, just before he struck that rock. He says in verse 10, Listen here, you bunch of rebels. And then he said, Shall we bring you water out of this rock? <laughs> exactly. Who is this we? Well, that would be me and God. Right, Um, uh, because you do not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people what does it mean for God to be holy well it means in part it means that there are none like him and when Moses put himself in the same category as God it's like he drew two circles and he put himself and God in one circle and all those rebels in the other circle now, I, I don't know if this is all 100% correct or not, but it seems to me that, that was part of what really sealed Moses' fate. Uh, and I'm not talking about his eternal fate. You'll notice that Moses didn't, Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. Was Moses saved? Was Moses a genuine believer? Didn't, was Moses a child of God? When Jesus takes Peter uh, Peter and John and James up to the Mount, what they call the Mount of Transfiguration, okay, inside of the promised land in the New Testament, one of the two people they have a conversation with there is Moses. Uh, think about that. Anyways, um, it's like he's drawing these two circles and, and uh, putting himself in the circle with God and, and putting everybody else in the other circle and, and God said, you're not, you're not uh, going in. Um, we're going to take a look in a couple weeks' time at the end of Moses' life. and uh, <coughs> but, um, but for today, I, I think it's pertinent for us to understand that, that um, um, leaders, uh, no matter what era they live in, uh, no matter how esteemed they might be or how competent they might be, Or how great they might be. And I do hope you understand by now that there was no person in the Old Testament that was greater than Moses. Um, But he was a sinner. Just like the rest of us. Because we all are. And uh, we're all sinners. We are all wretched. We're all in need of forgiveness. We all need our sins atoned for. And we all need to be rescued. And that's why I think that they maybe have rolled these two passages together because the other passage that the curriculum wanted us to look at today was the, was the one that Curtis uh, put on the, on the screen when he was dismissing the kids. Uh, and it's just a short passage. We'll read it together. It's Numbers 21, 4 to 9. From Mount Hor they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go... Around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food. That would be the manna. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and and they bit the people, so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses, and they said, "We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you." Pray to the Lord that we, that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, and he set it on a pole, and, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Curtis says that's one of his favorite Old Testament stories. Um, because, but he said that the reason it's one of his favorite Old Testament stories is because it points us to the New Testament and to Jesus. Let me quote a scripture for you. Have you heard this scripture? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Do you know where that's found? That's John 3.16. It's like the most famous scripture in the world. John 3.16. Where is it found? In the New Testament. John. The Gospel according to John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, do you know the context? There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night and said, Master, we know that you are a great teacher come from God because nobody could do the work you've done unless God was with them. And Jesus said, said Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus said, wow, how is that even possible? That's the immediate context of John 3.16. Do you know what it says in John 15? 3.15, 3, 15, sorry. Let me take a look. John 3, verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's the immediate context of John 3.16. Just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Saul must the Son of Man, which is a title for the Messiah that Jesus used, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's interesting, you know, fiery serpents. We wouldn't probably wouldn't think of employing something like a fiery serpent as a picture of Jesus. It seems more appropriate to portray something bad or evil, doesn't it? Well, it is. It does. It is exactly what it is. Because the scriptures teach us that when Jesus hung on that cross, all of the sins of the world were on him. Every unclean thought you've ever had, every jealous feeling, every despicable act ever committed, all on him. And when we look at the cross and we see Jesus on the cross, we see a love of God sending his son to die for the sins of the world. That whosoever believeth in him not perish but live have eternal life so two things as I close and I close with this number one everyone needs a savior doesn't matter who you are you could be Moses and at the end of the day you're just a sinner like everybody else who needs to be saved doesn't no matter how many great things you can do. You can't compete with Moses. I mean, like the man part of the Red Sea. Well, it was actually God, but God said, Stretch out your hand, right? Everyone needs a Savior. And number two, he turns none away. Dex says that the, all who looked were healed. All who looked were healed so I am I with this question have you looked on the cross of Jesus I don't I mean really with eyes of faith have you looked there and seen the love of God sending his son to die in your place have you looked and seen your sin on him him bearing your sin when you do that and you recognize what's going on there you, then you, you're standing in the place of forgiveness because he died taking his your sins on him so that you and I could be forgiven I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to pray <coughs> it's appropriate to close our time together with prayer it always it always is not as a point of legalism but as a response what what i've done today and what i try to do each time i have the privilege of sharing te- with you from god's word is to to bring the teaching of the word of god to you so that we can help each other learn what the Bible says. And God's word always calls for a response from us. And it's not the response sometimes that people think it is. It doesn't come with all kinds of fanfare. It's a heart issue. Will you pray with me this morning in your heart? And if you've never asked Christ to be your Savior, Everyone needs a Savior. And He turns none away. I invite you this morning to bring your heart to Him. Let Him wash you clean. Let Him wash away your guilt and your sin and give you eternal life. Will you do that? Father, I thank you for each one here today the young, the old, the little, and the great. Before you, Lord, we all stand here today as sinners in need of the Savior. And we look to the cross of Jesus together this morning. And, Lord, may each of us in our hearts, may we look at, by faith on that cross and see our sin there, but also your great love. And I just, I just pray for each one here today, Lord, that you would grant them faith unto repentance, unto eternal life. Give them eyes to see. Give each one of us ears to hear, Lord. If you're here today and you'd like to accept Christ as your Savior, I invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. Just say, Lord, I I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I stand condemned because of the guilt of my sin, and I need a Savior. And I thank you for being that Savior. I look to you right now, and I, I just, I accept you, Lord Jesus, as the payment for my sin and as the Lord of my life. Please forgive me, please cleanse me, please take me and make me your own and help me to walk before you as your child all the days of my life and welcome me into heaven someday. And I would give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name, amen. God's blessing on you today. Thank you for for listening.